Amen. Hey, we are once again in our topic, World Religions, Cults, and the Occult. We are on number seven. That's right. The issue is Roman Catholicism. And by way of recap, because that's what we do around here, apparently, uh, we've already seen by the evidence, taking a look, doing some CSI detective-style information, Roman Catholicism is a pseudo, a fake, false Christian group. Number two, they are a cult, secular and biblical definitions. Number three, they are demonic, i.e. devilish, John chapter 8. It's one thing to disagree, but they say, hey, you disagree, we're going to come after you, and frankly, unfortunately, kill you. And that's what we saw with John chapter 8, was the example Jesus called out the Pharisees uh, on the carpet, and they wanted to murder him. He says, you're just like your father, the devil. He's not only a liar and the father of all lies, but you're a murderer. You're what, doing what your father wants to do. And that's unfortunately what the Catholic Church has done, not just uh, for a couple years, but throughout pretty much their existence. And we saw that with the different inquisitions, etc., etc. Then the last a few weeks, been dealt, well, where in the world is all this leading to? Well, believe it or not, now we talked about their past, not a good past. Oh, by the way, the inquisitions are still in effect today. Right, uh, But in the future, in the future, we saw, where's this leading to? Well, Revelation 17, the woman that rides the beast, and that's where we finished up. Now, we're going to get into the issue of not just they're a pseudo-Christian uh, group, they're a cult by definition, demonic or devilish. It's leading to the fulfillment of the last days, Antichrist kingdom, the one world religion harlot riding with the beast. But the question I have is, why? Why is it so messed up? Why is Roman Catholicism a pseudo-Christian group? Why are they a cult on both sides of the coin there, biblical and even secular? Why are they so demonic and so devilish? And why are they the ones leading this charge to the fulfillment uh, to Revelation 17? Well, what we're going to see, the whole theme for the next probably few weeks is because they veer off Scripture. That's it. And when you veer off scripture, that is one of the absolute easiest classic signs to identify this group, any group who does this, as a cult. And that's what Roman Catholicism does. So that's what we're going to see. Why in the world is all that the case? But let's take a look at, that's right, page one, paragraph four. I know we're cooking now, man. The reason why says this. Remember that all false philosophies, religious, psychological, or Ruth, are you here? Ect. Ect is there again. Uh, are Satan's creation, right? Who's the father of all lies? I just quoted John chapter 8, Jesus speaking. Satan, he's the father of all lies. So any distortion of the true gospel is the work of who? Satan, whose aim is to what? Deceive people into thinking that they're going to what is uh, going, uh, uh, doing, what they're doing is what is needed to be rewarded uh, heaven upon death. But where is it really leading them? It's leading them to the opposite direction. They're going to hell. This is salvation by works, i.e. doing good things and not doing bad things. How many times, even in the church, you hear people say this. Well, you know, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm American. You know, I don't kick my dog too much, you know, and I believe in the Ten Commandments, and I try not to cheat too much. And, you know, it's, well, so that makes you a Christian? What are you talking about? No, it doesn't. But again, it's that mentality. Well, I'm not that bad of a person. You know, most good stuff outweighs the bad. That mentality is satanic because that mentality puts the uh, even 1% of that, even 0.0001% of that is satanic. That's a false way. It is not based on any of our works. And what we're going to see is, of course, with Roman Catholicism, uh, that is a core issue. All right? But he says this, If one carefully studies the various religions and cults of the world, he will soon discover without exception... Right? In other words, here's a universal thing. How do I know if this entity, this group, whoever's spouting off this thing, who's even claiming to be Christian, how do I know without exception they are a cult? Here's what he says. They are founded on some form of human effort and works righteousness. But what does the scripture say? Isaiah, our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. 
right? So that is a sign. Anything that says mankind is going to aid in helping that entity, that person to get to heaven, that is a sign of a cult. Only grace-centered biblical Christianity is from God. Listen, every other form of religion is from who? Why? Because who's the fa- it's a lie. And who's the father of lies? Satan, okay? And it's inspired by his demon spirits, promoted by his lying agents, and centered in works righteousness. In other words, it's up to you. So, so for sake of effect, but also for truth, let's reword that with a couple specifics there. Every false teaching of Roman Catholicism is from Satan, inspired by his demon spirits, promoted by his lying human agents. And you could say the same thing with Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses and Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam and all the other ones you've already looked at. But this is a serious issue. It's not just, oh, that's just what they believe. No, anything other than only through Jesus Christ is satanic, ultimately in its source. Strong words, but that's the reality of what we're dealing with here. Right? Now, let's get on. Tonight, we're going to take a look at Roman Catholicism uh, or RC. Now, you could say it's rotten chicken or Roman Catholicism, but whatever you want to do. To make it happen, let's just move on. Uh, the, uh, to categorize uh, Roman Catholicism is somewhat challenging. Now, other groups like Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses are easy to classify as a Christian cult, is the first blank there, Christian cult, as they have distinctly aberrant beliefs, which we've mentioned before. Jesus, according to the Mormons, is the spirit brother of Lucifer, Ooh, right? And the, uh, or Jehovah's Witnesses, that he's merely the archangel Michael. Double. Uh, guy, you want to make that noise again? Okay, thank you. That worked, that worked good enough, right? No, that's not true either. Now, and again, we're going to get into that in much greater detail. All right, aberrant beliefs, but also because they began at a point of time with relatively recent in you know, church history, if you will, claiming new unbiblical revelation from God. Wait a second. Who also claims new, unfortunately, unbiblical revelation from God? That's a huge, massive chunk of much of charismatic theology right? It's not the Bible. It's the Bible, and God told me. God gave me a word, or the prophet, or prophetess, and all that stuff. It's a new, and the thing is, well, why aren't we writing a new New Testament? If that's genuinely from God, you're doing a disservice to the church, but of course, it's not from God. It has stopped with the canon of the scripture, but that's no different, and then plus, if you're going to go down that route, then I'm sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Charismatic, with all due respect, how are you going to witness to the Mormon? Because that's the basis of what Roman, uh, uh, Joseph Smith believes, right? He got a new revelation, Right? And as he was staring in that hat with that rock. Again, we'll get into that in greater detail. Right? It's a new, so, anyway, so it falls apart, but we'll, we'll get into that. So that's easy. They're saying those groups, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, relatively recent. They got some really weird doctrine, and everybody knows they're a cult, right? That's what he's basically saying. Now, he's saying this. He goes, um, these groups have always been referred to by historic Christianity as cults, and this labeling serves to highlight their aberrant beliefs. But Catholicism, on the other hand, is a historically insert this word here, pseudo, make this clear, it's a historically pseudo-Christian group. It's not a Christian group, it's a pseudo-Christian group, meaning that it did not begin at a certain time, but developed slowly into what it is today. I get what your point is. In other words, they've been around for a whole lot longer than Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses by many, many centuries. But as we did in our study, we maybe can't pick the exact date Right? It was on a Thursday and 391. Okay, I mean, we can't do that, but we know that it was right after the time of Constantine. That's what's kind of started the whole thing. And shortly thereafter, bing, the birth of the first pope. So we kind of know a general time frame, 
But I see what they're saying. It's like sometimes people think, well, they've been around forever. And sometimes, you, we've talked about this before, when you study even, quote, church history, what gets thrown in there as if it was Christian is discussion on Roman Catholicism. Christendom is what's used in church history is not necessarily biblical Christianity. Now, it might be Roman Catholicism, and maybe that's what was going on during Western Europe and the areas in Europe over in that uh, region, but that doesn't mean that that was Christianity, right? So let's continue on. So they say that's kind of hard uh, because people just kind of think, well, that's just always that, and it's just another thing of Christianity. It's not. Now, in addition, Catholicism holds many doctrines. And this is, again, why is it so... Why, is, why do people, when you say the term cult, when you say it's satanic, when you say it's demonic and devilish, when you say it's pseudo-Christian, why do people say, oh, come on. Now, now okay, it's one, you could say that to the Mormons, and Jehovah, but come on, isn't that harsh to the Roman Catholic? This is what he's saying. because, one, they've been around for a long time. And people just kind of like, well, I guess they're Christian. No, that's not true. Number two, here's what he's saying. Because they do have some doctrines that we would consider orthodox. Okay? But it still doesn't make the rest of what they teach right. And that's the problem. Right? Uh, one, inerrancy of the Bible. And that's even tricky to even say that. Because we're going to see in just a second, their Bible's not the same thing as our Bible. Right? And they don't even stick with the Bible. And again, we'll get to that in a second. So, mm. number two... Another blank. Two, two, Tom, two in one night. Trinitarian, and it's a big word too. Yeah, it's hard to spell. Trinitarian, nature of God, okay? The Trinitarian nature of God. Number three, the deity of Jesus Christ. Number four, the Christ's virgin birth, sinless life, crucifixion, and resurrection. So they, well, see, it's the same thing as us. Well, again, the Bible one will clarify in a second. Uh, but well, excuse me, but keep looking, right? So how many times have we said this before? Uh, you have a Mormon... You know, come knocking at your door, and uh, Jehovah's Witnesses come knocking at your door, and what's the first thing you say? Oh, hey, listen, no, listen, I, I know who you are, because I can see your white shirt and a little tie, and you rolled up here on the bike. Okay, I get you, I, with all due respect, I, all right, I, I recognize you, but I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus. What do they say? I do too, we do too. So what do you have to do? You have to go behind and start asking, investigate a question. Well, let's see who your Jesus is, and you find out it's not the same thing. Amongst other things, right? Roman Catholicism. Okay, maybe you say you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, but is it really the same thing that we believe? Uh-uh. We'll get to that in just a second, right? And you may say you believe in the Trinity, and maybe you do, but what about this and that and this and that and this and that? You have to go behind the veneer even with Roman Catholicism. Okay, and that's why he's saying this, why it's so tricky. The label cult may be considered inflammatory by some when applied to Roman Catholics, perhaps uh, unnecessarily limiting witnessing opportunities. With this said, the Roman Catholic Church has several doctrines that would place them into the what category? Cult. There are many doctrines that could, we could highlight to distort the true gospel. Errors in the Roman Catholic doctrine are present, listen, in almost, underline this, almost every major area of theology, Right? And we're going to get into a lot of them, and if we have time is, I'm going to even, once again, come out of the workbook and just start going down the list with all the false teachings, right, that are mentioned and promoted by uh, this entity, Roman Catholicism. But almost every, not, not, not just one, not just, oh, well, that's just kind of a, you know, they like wearing robes and we don't wear robes, you know, secondary issues. No, almost every major area of philosophy. Oh, maybe you got the Trinity right, but in almost every major area of theology get wrong. That's what a cult does. So it's not harsh, right? 
All right, so let's continue on. We could spend a great deal of time investigating each. However, we're going to focus on five areas is what the workbook's going to finish up into, five areas that are defining somebody as a cult. Now, the first one that we're going to deal with tonight is the source of authority, right? And we dealt with that in the introduction, right, in the first uh, several studies that we did. Remember those studies? Sure, Pastor, really? Thanks, Bobby, for that vote of confidence. And I appreciate you memorizing word for word everything we've ever gone through. That's why the recording, you could do it again, right? Uh, source of authority. Where are you getting all this stuff, right? I mean, they say they believe in the Bible, and so we, we got to agree. Mm, that's the problem. They Cults have a different source of authority. Mormons, they have their thing. Oh, I believe in the Bible, but it's the writings of Joseph Smith. Well, now you just messed it up. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, well, yeah, we believe. Yeah, but your Bible is the perverted, twisted Bible. Right, And your so-called scholars, Greek and Hebrew scholars, weren't even Greek and Hebrew scholars. Uh, one guy was a short-order cook from Ohio. Again, we'll get into that later. It's like, what? It's crazy. They, and they twisted. They perverted. Right? Uh, again, back to the charismatic issue. I'm trying not to pick on that. But it's, you say you believe in the Bible and the Bible, but what do you go on? You go on your experience, on your feelings, and your new supposed revelation. You're adding to the Word of God. Your source of authority is not the same, and that's why everything's all messed up source of authority uh, we're not going to get to it uh, tonight but just to by uh, segue to get you to where we're heading uh, we're after a source of authority because we're doing five things right the nature of god including the trinity the person and work of jesus christ the nature of man and the means of salvation those five things you get those wrong you're cold you can like it lump it lead or not you can say that's harsh that's inflammatory sorry you're cold and when it comes to roman catholicism you get it wrong Right, and that's what he's saying. Source of authority. Let's take a look. Top of the page. To understand Catholic teaching concerning authority, we can look at the catechism of the Catholic Church. Right? Catechism. Now, what's catechism? Catechism uh, is their word. It's based on the Greek word uh, katechizane, and it means to teach orally or uh, word of mouth. And basically, the catechism is the, if you will, Catholic word uh, that means it is their manual for teaching their doctrine albeit, unfortunately, false doctrine, but this is their official teaching manual of doctrine, the Catholic Catechism, right? And what we're going to see tonight, and I'm going to quote it repeatedly over and over again, I'm not just making these claims, they don't believe that, they don't teach that, I'm going to be quoting straight from the Catechism, their Catechism, their manual of official religious doctrine, right? So let's continue on. To understand that, uh, we're going to take a look at that catechism, published 1997 in Latin. Uh, the Catholic uh, Church Catechism, CCC, is a summary of all essential and basic teachings of Catholicism. Now, here's the problem, right? It's like, well, nothing wrong with having a manual for teaching, right? We're going through a workbook, right? Workbooks could be good. Nothing wrong with that. We have an official doctrinal statement, right, that we have and all that neat stuff. We got bylaws and constitutions, right, Jim? We got all kinds of nifty stuff that we follow, right, and do. Okay, uh, the problem is, they don't stick to just the Bible, right? And this, where they derive this catechism, their beliefs from, that's their official doctrine, comes from all over the place. Let's take a look. Number one, the Catholic Bible. Well, no, that's good. No, it's not. Let's take a look. Uh, 66 books of the Protestant Bible plus the Apocrypha. Now, we're going to get into that hopefully tonight. The Apocrypha meaning secret or hidden things. The secret books. How many guys have heard that? The lost books of the Bible, the secret. Well, believe it or not, as we've mentioned before, why they were rejected, we'll get into that again tonight, uh, they put them in there. And I think once you start to examine which ones they put in there and which ones they didn't want to put in there, I think there was an unfortunate motive, and it's not good. But we'll get to that in a second. Uh, number two, 
So they say they believe in the Bible, but it's the Catholic Bible, and it's the same Bible, not the same as us, and it contains books with false teaching. Number two, the decrees of ecumenical councils, 21 total, out of which three are the most referenced, but technically 21. And the top three are the Council of Trent, the First Vatican Council, and the Second Vatican Council as recent as 1965. So that's their source of truth. This is where they're getting their official doctrines. Well, wait a second. Nothing wrong with the council, but the problem is, is a, if we have a meeting, as cool as meetings are, whatever we decide, are we going to put that on the same par as the Scripture? Are we going to say, thus saith the Lord? I mean, I, we, we tried to strive to do it, but are you going to put man's meeting on the same? Well, that's what they do. That's what they derive it from. And it gets worse as we go. Let's continue on. Uh, the, the writings of the who? The popes. Are, wait, wait, you, you mean to, hey, listen. Uh, lots of, are, you mean to tell me one guy... Whatever he says, or does, I mean, listen, I work my tail off to try to be right and, and correct the truth, but I would never say everything I've ever taught is on the same par as the Scripture. I'm trying to line up with Scripture. I'm trying my best to be scriptural, but I think it would be the height of arrogance to say that whatever I've ever taught, said, written down is on par with the Scripture. Well, that's what they do with the popes. What are you doing? And again, this is their source of authority. This is what you have used to derive your catechism, your official religious Doctrine manual. The Code of Canon Law, 1,752 laws that govern the Roman Catholic Church. So you throw that one in there too. Uh, church liturgy, public worship and practice, the tradition. Stand up, sit down, do this, do that. And we'll get into this tradition hopefully in just a little bit. The Catechism of the Council of Trent, the Guide to the Roman Catholic Faith, published in 1566 by uh, Pope Pius V, and another single guy, other than the Pope's. Uh, Thomas Aquinas and his Summa Theology work. So how many is that? You got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different sources of truth. No wonder it's messed up. And even the one that's supposed to be the Bible isn't the same Bible as we got. So really, do you have any source that's pure? No, not one. Not one. No wonder there's so much false teaching. That's what you derive your authority from uh, it's not shocking. According to Catholic teaching, the source of authority does not rest with Scripture alone. <gasps> That's a serious charge, Ken. How could you mouth that? You were just being a fundamentalist. You're being a what? No, oh, oh, excuse me. We're going to quote what they say. I didn't say that. Ken didn't say that. Okay. They said that, right? Uh, but with Scripture, listen, I'll read it again. According to Catholic teaching, the source of authority does not rest with Scripture alone, but with what? Scripture, but again, they don't even have the same Scripture, Tradition and the Pope, each with, underline those two words, equal authority. What? You really say that all that carries equal authority with the Bible? Man, no wonder things are messed up. So let's start quoting their catechism, their official doctrine, right? Sacred tradition, that's your next blank there, three. Who's counting, Tom? Sacred tradition and sacred scripture then are bound closely together and communicate one with another for both of them flowing out of the same what? Divine wellspring? So your man-made tradition is divine? And not just divine, but what are you doing? You're putting man-made tradition that you've come up with on par with the scripture? I didn't say that, they did. And they come together, they say, in some fashion to form one thing and move towards the same goal. Each of them makes present and fruitful in the church the mystery of Christ who promised to remain with his own always to the close of the age. Number two quote from the uh, catechism. Sacred scripture is the speech of God as it is put down in writing under the breath of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you would have stopped right there, that sounds pretty good. Unfortunately, you kept going. And listen to what you said. And 
holy what? Tradition transmits in its entirety the word of God, which has been entrusted to the apostles by Christ, the Lord, and the Holy Spirit. It transmits it to the successors of the apostles so that enlightened by the spirit of truth, they may faithfully preserve, expound, and spread it abroad in their preaching. Number three, as a result, the church, the Catholic church, to whom the transmission and interpretation of revelation is entrusted. What? You mean to tell me you're the only one that can interpret that? That's what's called the magisterium. We'll get to that in just a second. It does not, listen, it does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from the Holy Scriptures alone. They admitted it. Again, both Scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. What? So your man-made traditions, I have to uh, revere and obey as much as the Word of God. Starting to sound like a, a group that Jesus confronted in the New Testament, runs to the Pharisees. Hey, that's right, Leon, it's the Pharisees. You're on the ball. Let's move on. Uh, let's continue on. It is clear, therefore, that in the supremely wise arrangement of God, sacred tradition sacred scripture and the magisterium of the church are so connected and associated that one of them cannot stand without the others. Oh, so now you entered three things into here. So he said scripture, which even your scripture isn't the same as our scripture, so it really, when they say scripture, you need to understand that. It's not even the same thing. Okay, but even if you want to give them that benefit of the doubt, they clearly said that tradition and what? What's the magisterium of the church? The magisterium of the church is basically the popes and uh, the bishops, and they're basically their belief that they are the ones who are in charge of interpreting the scripture for us. Unless they say it is, you can't believe it. I mean, you really can't believe it. That they say you can't believe it. And then all, right? In other words, we don't have the right to interpret the scripture on our own. Yeah, you know, what does the scripture say? Who was considered uh, uh, no, uh, um, noble. Even when the Apostle Paul, who wrote probably 13 of the epistles, right, and uh, that uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with a direct revelation from Jesus Christ, even the Apostle Paul, the Bereans, what? Hey, Paul, that sounds pretty good. But I'm going back to the Bible. Make sure you're right. Right? What, when, when, I, when I'm preaching, right, when we open our opening text, what I say? Don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's. Open your Bible, right? And encourage you, Christian, all of us have that liberty to open the Bible for ourselves. Now, why were the Reformers murdered, strangled, drowned? Even after they were dead, they dug up their bones and burned them and chucked their ashes and anathema and accursed this and accursed that. Why did they do that? Because they, and they translated the Bible so that, what? Anybody could read it. They violated this teaching of the magisterium. Only they have the ability and you have no right. Crazy. But that's what they believe, right? But they put that on par with the supposed, their version of the scripture. Working together each in its own way under the action of one Holy Spirit, they all contribute effectively to the salvation of souls. Wow. Now, underline that phrase there, supreme pontiff. The supreme pontiff, right? Now, that's what they use to refer to the Pope, right? Vicar of Christ, supreme pontiff. They use it all the time still to this day. And so I decided, you know what, where did that supreme pontiff come up? And even like a, even secular, even a secular definition instantly comes up. You know what that definition is? Supreme pontiff, and I quote, former title of the pagan high priest at Rome. Go look it up. It's explained some things. Thank you, Ken, for that uh, exciting noise there. You're, you're, now you're starting to compete with the guy. Right. But anyway, so uh, what? Now, doesn't that make sense, right? Because when did they start? 
out of the Roman Empire, Constantine blending together, and even that title of the Pope, right? They took as the high priest, the pagan high priest title. It's, it's just crazy. But anyway, the Supreme Pontiff, in virtue of his office, i.e. the Pope, possesses what? Infallible, what's that mean? Without error. No error, zero. Always right, 100% right all the time. Infallible teaching authority when as supreme, is your next blank there, supreme pastor and teacher of all the faithful, he proclaims with a definitive act that a doctrine of faith or morals is to be held as such. What? So a guy on the planet is now infallible on par with the scripture. But even your scripture still isn't our scripture, but... Even giving you that. Uh, Next one. The task of interpreting the word of God authentically has been entrusted solely to who? Right there. You and I have the uh, audacity to open the Bible for ourselves. And again, if you don't think they take that as a serious charge, you and I doing that, that's why over and over by the thousands they killed the Protestant reformers. It wasn't just because you disagreed, but then you went over the and you let other people read the Bible in their own language. And they killed them for it. Massacred. Right? But that's what they said. They are the only ones who have the ability to tell us what to believe with the Scripture. When even your Scripture really isn't even the Scripture. But anyway, so, but it says this. That is the Pope and the bishops. Oh, and to the bishops in communion with him. So, still back. Uh, towards the Pope. But here's what it says. We agree with Catholicism that Scripture is authoritative, though only the 66 books recognized before the Council of Trent. Now, that was their council, and basically the Council of Trent was the Catholic reaction to the Protestant movement, and they lost control. Okay, And so they basically came up with their version of the Bible, added some stuff called the Apocrypha, just to distance themselves, uh, kind of in a nutshell. So let's take a look at that. Let's reject that. So we're still on the source of authority, right? So they got at least, what, seven different ones, and even their version of the Bible is not even ours, so no wonder it's messed up. But again, in their Bible, as mentioned earlier, they add these things called the Apocrypha, and that's at the top of the page there, the Apocrypha. Again, that mean, that word means things that are hidden or secret, right? Now, the Apocrypha, uh, or Deuterocanonical, basically second canon books, Okay, consists of a set of books written uh, uh, between approximately 400 B.C. and the time of Christ, right? And uh, the word apocrypha, again, means hidden, is your next blank there. The Old Testament apocrypha includes the following books. Listen, the Wisdom of Solomon, not Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiasticus, also known as Sirach, Tobit, wait to hear what's in that thing, uh, Judith, First and Second Maccabees, Second Maccabees is where they get their false teaching of purgatory, Okay, amongst other false teachings, it comes out of this apocryphal book. Not the Bible, but this apocryphal book. Prayer of Azariah, uh, Susanna, Bell and Dragon, Baruch, uh, the letter to Jeremiah, uh, additions to Esther, First uh, and Second Esdras, and Prayer of Manasseh. Now, that's what's classical defined as the apocrypha. Now, they don't add every single one of those. I think they, they do, I think we'll see it in a second, 11 out of the 15, right? But this is the Apocrypha. These are the writings that were came on the scene during that time frame, up to about 400, the time of Christ. Okay, and uh, but they were rejected. They were rejected by the early church. Why? Well, that's what we saw before in the introduction. But since we're on it again, let me tell you why. Because they just made some arbitrary decision, and they had no authority. They should have submitted to the magisterium and let them define. No, there was good reasons and common sense reasons why these books were rejected and not considered on par with the Scripture. Again, 
the Catholicism, their Bible adds these books that we're talking about to their Bible. And they consider them as thus saith the Lord, as the rest of the Scripture. They were rejected for good reason because of all kinds of things. And we'll get to in a second. I'll give you a taste of that. But why were they rejected? Well, common sense canon filtering questions were asked. And if any book did not meet this, it got chucked. Right? Number one, was the author of the book an apostle? Number two, does it agree with the rest of Scripture? Why? Because God doesn't lie. Right? And so if it really came from God, then it's not going to contradict the rest of the Bible. Was it accepted by the early church? Was it circulated by the early church? Was it quoted by the early church? And did it come with the power of God? Okay, is what he's talking about there. Now, as we talked before, let me give you some other books. You know, the lost books of the Bible that keep getting lost every 15 years after we forget about it. And then they keep recycling them again on the uh, uh, hysterical or history channel, whatever you want to call it. So, but, uh, or should we just call it what it is? Anti-Christianity channel. Right? And boy, it's just, I'm sure it's just a quinky dink. Every Christmas and uh, Easter Resurrection Sunday, you start putting out stories about, did Jesus really rise from the dead, or was it some secret theory of like that? It's always at that time. But anyway, whatever, I'm not bitter about it. Let's just move on. Uh, let me give you some examples. Judas Gospel. Right? The Judas Gospel, why was it rejected? Because there's a conspiracy, Tom, and they were just trying to hide something from us. And it, No. Let me just give you one reason. It made the Judas, the apostle who betrayed be, uh, Jesus, out to be some sort of a hero. <whistles> Guy? <gasps> Thank you. Yeah, out, out the window with that one. Give me a break. Uh, the letter to Herod. Now, this one's funny. Listen, the person uh, who was forging that letter, by the way, forgot that the Herod at the time of Jesus' birth was not the same Herod as his trial uh, and crucifixion. So I've got it all, all messed up. As one guy states, whoops, uh, get your history right if you're going to do a good bit of forgery. Uh, the Gospel of Thomas. Man, I remember when I first got saved in 93. That was big. We were, they were discussing it in our calls and career group. The Gospel of Thomas. Did you hear about the Gospel of Thomas? Maybe that's really some secret. Gospel of Thomas. It tries to give us secret details about Jesus' early years as a child and says, amongst other wild things, quote, as Jesus was playing, a child bumps into him and Jesus strikes him dead. That's not consistent with the Jesus of uh, the rest of the Bible. Uh, the Acts of John. Oh, it must have come from John because it says John. Excuse me, right? Which states, quote, John comes into an inn and there are bedbugs in the bed. And John commands the bedbugs to get out of the bed and they get out of the bed and march in line right out of that room. <laughs> it's a conspiracy. They're trying to keep the bedbug truth away from us. It was rejected. Right? Acts of Paul. It had to be from Paul. It said Paul. Paul baptizes a lion, and later this lion saved him in the amphitheater. Because we all know we're supposed to baptize animals. Guy, help me out. Ugh, out the window. That's right. Uh, Protovangelium of James. I mean, that sounds dramatic. It's got to be true, Bobby. I can't even spell that word without spell check. Uh, listen, it was written to perpetuate the perpetual virginity of Mary. <clears throat> And says that she was placed in the temple at age of three and that angels fed her. Guy, one last time, your time to shine. Ugh, yeah, let's, uh, give me a break. Excuse me. So there's no conspiracy going on here. These books, as well as the Apocrypha, were rejected, okay, because of these issues. There's no conspiracy, right? It's not, oh, you guys are, no, okay? And for common sense, but the Catholic Church puts them in here and still to this day, they're full of all kinds of false teaching. But some of them they rejected, though. Remember, they didn't put all 15 that are listed here. Why would they reject a couple of them? Hmm, 
Inquiring minds wanted to know about me. Let's take a look at that. Let's move on. The, the uh, Roman Catholic uh, Council of Trent accepted all the Old Testament Apocrypha as canonical in 1546, with the exception of First and Second Esdras and the Prayer of Manasseh. Uh, while there's 15 total books in the Apocrypha, uh, Roman Catholic Bibles count only 11 because they combine the letter of Jeremiah with Baruch, and they admit First and Second Esdras and the Prayer of Manasseh. Well, wonder why. Well, if you look it up, because you could look up what these books uh, teach. They're false books. They're, it's historical, interesting reading, but they're not on part of the Scripture, and they do have false teachings, so stay away from them in that aspect. You don't build a doctrine off them, right? Uh, the second, te- second address, 7105, in, is in opposition. Is your blank there? It's in opposition to the prayer for the dead, and this may have led to the exclusion of it by the Roman Catholic Church. Well, that, well, well uh, we rejected it because the magisterium prayed over it and made an intelligent decision that this shows no signs of authenticity. And of course, you want to sound smart, Bobby. Apparently, you have to do this, uh, whatever this is. Uh, but anyways, uh, and, and that's why they... No! Because it's not only a false teaching book, but a false teaching book contradicted one of their false teachings, so you can't have that. Let me quote that for you. This is what the second address 7105 says this. Okay, the context of that book is the day of judgment and that there is no intercession for the dead. Oops. And that verse says specifically, so no one shall ever pray for another on that day. All shall bear their own unrighteousness. Well, that you can't have that in your Bible because that messes up what you want to hold on to in your tradition. Interesting. Let's continue on. It gets worse, unfortunately. The reasons they suggest, oh, yeah, yeah, this Old Testament Apocrypha stuff, this is good, right? This is just as good as Scripture, right? Here's the rationale. Well, some early church fathers accepted these books. So? Well, the, the Syriac church accepted them in the 4th century, which is not really totally true. We'll get to that in a second. Well, because that's what we hold, you know, hey, solo... Sola Syriac Churchicus, right, Bobby? That's what we stand on as Protestants. Whatever they said, we've got to bind ourselves. So what? The Eastern Orthodox Church accepts them. Two wrongs don't make it right. How many guys ever had your mom say this? If your friends jumped off a bridge, would you do the same thing, right? What's she trying to tell you? Just because they didn't, didn't make it right. Just saying, I don't care, so what? So what? Are they? That's, not, that's not how you decipher what's true and what's not. Okay, because you're putting it in the lap of man. The Roman Catholics proclaimed them as canonical in the Council of Trent, 1546. So, doesn't make it right. The Apocrypha, what they said, was included in Protestant Bibles, including the original King James Version of 1611. Well, it's not there now. And it still doesn't make it right. Right? Some of the Old Testament Apocrypha had been found among uh, other Old Testament books with the Dead Sea Scrolls. So, that was that guilt by association? Right? Did you know I have a lot of Bibles believe? This might t- should be comforting to you. Your pastor's got Bibles in his office. <laughs> yeah, can you believe it? Wow, what a concept. Now, I never read them. I just, no, no, it's kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> kidding, just kidding. It's being recorded, read. I'm going downhill. But anyway, <laughs> they'll take that snippet, won't they? And then they'll say, and if he puts his hands at 36 minutes, he's working for the Illuminati. Four times now I've been accused of that. But anyway. And that's on tape, too. Wow. Let's just get back to the text. All right, but uh, so guilt by association. All right, so I got a lot of Bibles. But so does that mean every book in my office, I believe, is on par with the Bibles? Number one, no. And number two, I've got books in my office for research purposes that are completely unbiblical. New Age things and all other occult stuff and whatever. I don't recommend, and I don't just let anybody pull, because well, 
just because it's in my library, that, and it's the same thing, so what? So he found some there with the Dead Sea Scrolls. It doesn't make it the same as the Bible. It's crazy, but that's what they try to do. However, there is abundant and compelling evidence for rejecting, underline that, rejecting the Apocrypha as inspired by God. While these books may be of historical value and in some ways supplement God's truth, they are not canonical for the following reasons. Number one, Jesus and the apostles did not accept these books as part of the Scripture. Right? You think they would be important? They would talk about them. They didn't. The Apocrypha. There are no New Testament reference to any Apocrypha as being authoritative in any way, and the New Testament writers quote not one, not one part of the Apocrypha. Okay? Uh, Judaism has never accepted these books as part of the Scriptures, and ancient Jewish leaders specifically rejected is your blank there, rejected the Apocrypha. Some big guns there, Josephus and Philo. Uh, and they're in my office as well, if you ever want to have a really large read uh, with them. But anyways, now, here's some more reasons why. Not on the same par, uh, Scripture. While a few early church leaders may appear to uh, take some material from the Apocrypha, most were opposed to the inclusion of the Apocrypha in the canon of Scripture and mentions a whole slew of them. Furthermore, no church council, underline that, no church council for the entire church accepted these books as Scripture. Right. Next one, the Apocrypha itself recognizes our Old Testament canon as distinct 24 books, which corresponds to the Hebrew Bibles known today in 2nd Ezra's 14, 70 books are distinguished from the 94, leaving 24 the exact number of the Hebrew canon, which became the 39 Old Testament books. But here's the point. Not only does the Apocrypha not itself not claim inspiration for itself, it actually disclaims, here's your blank there, it actually disclaims it when 1st Maccabees 9, 27, one of the Apocrypha books, describes an existing cessation of prophecy. So this is after the time of the apostles, members from that time up until about 400, right? And you're going to say that this is on par with the scripture, which means it needs to be inspired like the rest of the scripture. But these actual books themselves say, well, that stopped. You can't have it both ways, all right? Even if you want to include them. Uh, the Apocrypha includes unbiblical teaching, including prayers for the dead. Again, they get that one, again, from 2 Maccabees, as well as uh, Purgatory. Uh, also, salvation by works. That's your book of Tobit. Now, this is in their Bible, right? And uh, Tobit 12.9. Now, I have to read that one for you. It's not just salvation by works. Remember the research we did in the beginning with uh, uh, penance and uh, all the things that you can do uh, to shave off your sins, even give some cash, right? Indulgences, remember that? Okay, Tobit, very interesting. It's not just salvation by works. There's a specific work mentioned. Money. Well, wait a second. So you got rid of that second Ezra's things because that just happened to contradict your prayers to the dead, but boy, you clung to this baby. Well, let me, let me quote to you. I think there might be a reason why. It's not a good reason. Tobit 12.9 says this, and I quote, For almsgiving, give some cash. For almsgiving saves from death and purges all sin. Those who give alms will enjoy a full life. You kept that one, didn't you? Because that works really good, doesn't it? Especially when you're going around saying, hey, we're running a special. Need to build a cathedral. Running a special. Right? As soon as a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. You want to have your sins forgiven? Cough up the cash. Go on this week only. You slept with the prostitutes. Only $2.50. Come on. Cough it up. You think I'm kidding? Remember, this, this is the stuff they did. 
Not just works of your own works, but money. Money. You kept that book. Okay, let's continue on. Also, the first official adoption of the Pogfield by the uh, Roman Catholic Church came again at Council of Trent, 1546. Over 1,500 years after the books were written, right? You think if they're really, truly inspired, you would have figured it out earlier than that, right? This was a part of the reaction by Catholicism to the Protestant Reformation. Listen, and if anyone did not accept these books, they were considered what? Accursed. How dare you disagree with the magisterium, right? And notice, Bobby, I refrained from doing this this time. That's right. Uh, how, how dare you? What, excuse me? So I'm a curse if I don't accept these false teaching books as authoritative as the Word of God. You know what the Word of God says? Galatians 1.8. But even if we or an angel, Paul says, from heaven should preach to you another gospel, let him be accursed. You be accursed. Because these books that you say I have to accept or I'm accursed are actually showing signs that you're the one that's accursed because you're leading people to hell. Because these things are false teaching, and I just quoted the Tobit, you got, you're going to give cash to purge your sins? No, Paul says, let you be cursed. Right? Uh, let's continue on. When the Apocrypha appeared in Protestant Bibles, it was normally placed in a separate section since it was what? Not considered okay, of equal authority. When Greek manuscripts do include books of the Apocrypha, they do not do so completely. In fact, underline this one. No Greek manuscript contains the exact collection of books of the Apocrypha as was accepted by the Council of Trent. While the Syrian church accepted the Apocrypha in the 4th century, remember we saw that earlier? The translation, though, of the Bible into Syrian in the 2nd century did not even include it. So if you thought it was supposed to be... So again, it all falls apart. The Qumran community had hundreds of books in its library beyond uh, the scripture. But again, just because you found other books buried there, does that mean that they thought that that was? No. Right? While the library had some of the Apocrypha, it did not have commentaries on the Apocrypha as it did with Old Testament books. The Old Testament books had special script and parchment unlike the Apocrypha. The Qumran community clearly considered the Apocrypha as what? Different from scripture. Right? Might have been a historical book. Might have been around, might have been part of a library, but it was treated completely differently because it was not considered the same as Scripture. Up until the Council of Trent established by the Apocrypha as Scripture by the RCC, different people viewed it with different degrees of value. Very few considered it to be Scripture, and if so, it was flawed. Is your next blank there? It was for flawed reasons. We should not consider uh, people who view the Apocrypha highly as necessarily supported as authoritative scripture. Now, this will give you another book. It's not the Apocrypha book, but it is another book. Uh, 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 it's called a pseudo-depigraphal uh, uh, book, right? Meaning it says it's from somebody, but it's not really not. Now, one of the real popular ones out there right now, right? Because you got to understand, when the church was getting out there, and you see signs of false teachers already trying to creep into the church. Satan lost, Jesus rose from the grave, the church was born, Jew and Gentile, all one in Christ, right? He lost, Satan lost big time, okay, he can't stop it, Jesus is coming back, right? He's going to set up the millennial kingdom, he's going to chuck the false prophet and uh, the, uh, the Antichrist into the lake of fire. Satan gets to have one final rebellion during the millennial kingdom that Jesus sets up on earth. After that, he's going into the lake of fire forever, 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 and ever. He knows that, he, his gig is up, he lost, so that means he just leaves us alone. No, what did he do? And we even see this in the New Testament. He began to try to cloud the truth, to dis get people away from the truth. How? By false teachings. Paul's already dealing with uh, uh, false teachers. 
People who want to say, oh yes, Jesus and the law. He called them Judaizers. John, I believe he's also dealing with other people with uh, uh, Gnosticism, right? Kind of like a warmed over new age and throwing some sprinklings from Jehovah's Witnesses and stuff like that. But you got false teaching that's going on with that, even in the church. So we'll post that outside the scripture. We already see an influx. It continued on. And people basically would show up, hey, we got a, the proto-evangelium of James. Aha! Doesn't make it that it came from them. You can put James or whatever you want. And that's what a lot of these guys did. They came out with this book. And they put the person's name on it. <gasps> Let me give you one of those books. Again, it's like Gospel of Thomas. What does it mean it came from Thomas? All right. Yeah, he was in a... Uh, but anyway. The book of Enoch. Ooh, that's a hot one today. Now, the problem is, it's an interesting book. It's a historical book, right? It's got some interesting things in it. I'm not even saying it's not an interesting read. It really is kind of an interesting read. But you can't build a doctrine off of it, right? And that's what Catholicism does. They take these books outside the scripture and they build doctrines off of it. It's called a false doctrine too, by the way. You can't do that. Let me just answer that a little bit. The book of Enoch is one of several suited epigraphal, falsely attributed. In other words, it didn't really come from Enoch. Enoch, of course, was the great-grandfather of Noah. I don't think he's still around. Okay, number one, right? Uh, the, the biblical book of Jude, though, here's where people get confused. The book of Jude, in the Bible, which is inspired, quotes from the book of Enoch in verses 14 through 15. 14, 15, two verses. Let me quote. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. But, that's it, that's it, that's it. But, this does not mean that the book of Enoch is inspired by God and should be in the Bible. First, Jude's quote is not the only quote in the Bible from a non-biblical source. <gasps> Well, let me explain it, right? First of all, Paul, I think, quotes at least two secular philosophers. One of them he does uh, is a, a philosopher in Epimenides in Titus 1-2 when he says, even one of your own prophets considered uh, Cretans lazy, glutton, liars, and stuff. He's quoting a secular person. He doesn't mean that everything that that guy wrote, right, was true, right? I think also the bad company corrupts a, a good character. That's another, if you will, secular source. So, so everything that philosopher said, no. Let me give you an analogy. If I'm explaining God's truth, and then I decide, and I'm going to, let's listen to, Paul Harvey said this. And it could be a true thing, you know, whatever. Oh, that means everything Paul Harvey said, it's got to be just like the same as the Bible. No, I'm just quoting it. It's the same thing as you have here with Jude, verses 4 to 15. Jude is quoting from the book of Enoch, but it does not indicate that the entire book is inspired. Listen, or even true. All it means is that particular quote that it uses, that peace is considered by God to be true. No scholars believe the book of Enoch is truly written by Enoch, period. We should treat the book of Enoch and the other books like it in the same manner as the apocryphal books. Some of what the Apocrypha says is true and correct, but at the same time, much of it is false and historically inaccurate. If you read these books, you have to treat them as interesting, but fallible historical documents, not inspired or authoritative word of God. And yet that's what people are doing. They're literally building doctrines. Of Their whole theology on angels is being built out of this book. It mentions a lot about angels. But you can't do that. Now, if you want to have an interesting conversation, whatever, but you can't build a doctrine off of it, right? So, but that's what the Catholic, they squish all these kind of books into their Bible too. 
differentiate from the Protestants. And man, it's all messed up. Okay, now let's continue on. And that's with that. Now, that's rejection of the Apocrypha. Now, the rejection of another thing they do wrong, tradition. And again, notice each one of these, each one of these, okay, is what they believe is on par with the Scripture, just as good as the Bible. Let's talk about tradition. Tradition, used 13 times in the New Testament, means that which was delivered, teaching. It's used negatively and positively. Tradition means that which is passed along by teaching. It's used in a negative way in the New Testament, referring to what? Man-made ideas or practices, right? Like the Pharisees. Jesus had very strong words. We'll see that in a second. But the terms also apply to divinely revealed teaching. Paul talks about inspired apostolic teaching in the Corinthians and uh, encouraged them to hold to it firmly. As we'll see in a second, in the context, it wasn't just some, Paul had this really cool tradition, and he expected the whole church to uphold it. What he did is when he tied his shoes, first he started with one bunny ear, and then a second bunny ear, and you loop it around, counterclockwise. And that's what everybody, no, that would be a man-made tradition. What Paul's talking about in tradition is what is traditionally was inspired of God to him. He's talking about conduct and behavior, not just stand up, sit down, do this, or here's what I think, or whatever. There's a major difference. Let's get into that. Negatively, it was referred to man-made, is your next blank there, man-made doctrines, teaching, or rules, which take the place of Scripture. What's that? It's not just a man-made tradition. What's it do? Takes place of Scripture. Is the, is the idea there. In fact, these traditions invalidate the word of God. In fact, that's the word that's used in the scripture, speaking against man-made traditions like with the Pharisees and scribes. Invalidate is the Greek word there, akru, uh, gazuntai, read. Uh, and it means to render void or deprived by what? Force or authority. Now, that's the same word used against the Pharisees. When they say, oh, how come your disciples don't follow our traditions and wash their hands before they eat? The word that's used in the scriptures, these guys, you negate the word of God with force and authority. What would the Pharisees say? Oh, you're toast now. You're doomed straight to hell. How dare you disagree with us, the Pharisees? We are the ruling elite. We are the masters of the scripture. We know what's right. You are, that sound familiar? Now, that word, that's what it means, with force or authority. What's the same thing, right? You don't do what the Roman Catholic Church do. You don't believe, what? You are a curse. You don't do it. Oh, oh, uh, reformers? How dare... You don't do what we say? You don't, you don't stop? You will die. We condemn your soul to hell. Same thing Jesus confronted in the Pharisees. Let's take a look at that top of the next page. And he answered, and he said to them, Jesus speaking, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your what? Tradition, that's the word there, in the negative sense, obviously. For God said, honor your father and mother, and uh, he who speaks evil of his father and mother will be put to death. But you say, well, whatever he says to his father and mother, whatever I have that would help to you has uh, been given to God. He is not to honor his father and mother. And by this you what? Invalidated, is your blank there, invalidated the word of God for the sake of your what? Tradition, invalidated, that's that word there. You have rendered void by force or authority. What? You put that rule above the scripture by force with authority. Number two, the Pharisees and scribes asked him to Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with impure hands? And he said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. 
As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But in vain do they worship me. Why? Because they're teaching doctrines, the what? Precepts or traditions of man. Neglecting the commandment of God, you uh, uh, hold to the tradition of men. He also said to them, you're experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. And again, he quotes with Moses, the father, and, and what they were doing, that here's what the Bible says, but here's what you're doing. You say that uh, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever I have to help you is Corbin, which means given over to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you've handed down, and you do many things such as that. So what was the problem with the Pharisees? The Pharisees, if you do the research, the Pharisees were a reactionary movement to the Jewish people back in that uh, time frame, uh, you know, before the Pharisees. They started out, if you will, in a sense, from a Jewish sense, not necessarily a biblical sense, but from a Jewish uh, sense that they were zealous for the law because the Jewish people were being what was called Hellenized. A Hellenistic Jew was one who was basically becoming like a Greek or a Roman. They were becoming worldly, we would say today. And they were walking away from the traditions. They were walking away. And so the Pharisees rose up and says, no, back to the law. Back to, if you will, Old Testament. Back to the Bible. That's not necessarily a bad thing per se. But then they got all high and mighty. And they became the new magisterium. And only they could interpret. And, they, and Jesus saw right through them. You guys, all it is now, you may have started out good, but it's a bunch of traditions. You don't love me. Your hearts are far from me. Oh, you sit there. You got these tassels and you look good. Oh, you look religious. And you do your religious things, man. Oh, when you pray, oh, everybody knows it. Oh, Lord, thou thee, oh, in the public, right? When you fast, oh, you put stuff on your face. Oh, I haven't eaten in a week. Oh, I'm so spiritual. We don't play those games in the church today, do we? We never run into people who, well, they got to be a Christian. Look at them. They got dockers and a polo on. And they do this when they speak. They've got to be. <laughs> All tradition. And let me insert this, because this sounds pretty. I've noticed people do that in two different ways, with things that even in Protestant churches. Have you noticed that? Right? Have you ever tried to tweak things in a church service? <laughs> Some people get weird about that, right? Sometimes people get, uh, uh, they play favorites with denominations. You notice that? Nope. Bring it down. Some people, you try to confront them on a truth. Well, that's not what my pastor says. My pastor, that's not what he said. That's not what he said. What's the scripture say? Well, I'm not saying being mean and nasty to your pastor, but what comes first? The Bible. You need to be a Berean. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going back to the word of God. And that's what I align to. And if you get out of line, you're the one in trouble, not me. Right? But this is what they put tradition above the word of God. And if we're not careful, we can do the same thing. But let's continue on. He says this, uh, you do many things like that. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. Now, positively, that was negative. Let's finish it up. Positively, it's used to refer of inspired apostolic uh, teaching, i.e. scripture Right? When Paul is saying, follow these traditions, do as I say, the pattern I set before you, right? it wasn't just tying your shoes. Right? I like eating with my right hand. You do too. No, he's, not ta- he's talking about what, and basically what Paul wrote down became Scripture because it was inspired of God. 
right? So then, uh, brethren, stand firm and hold to thee, what? Traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or letter or by us. So that's it. What he's talking about there is when a church says, in order for somebody to get up here and pray, they have to do it on one leg wearing a purple shirt. He said right there, follow your traditions. We've got to on. It's not what he's talking about. It's out of context. Nothing wrong with tradition if it's godly, if it agrees with Scripture. I'm not against tradition. There's certain value with tradition. There's good things with tradition. Sometimes we forget our history. I'm not against tradition. But when tradition supersedes Scripture, you've got a problem. Right? Continue on. He says this, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, not according to the what? Tradition which you receive from us. What's that? The traditional Christian behavior that's recorded for us in the Scripture, that he's backing up. Not just tradition for tradition's sake. He's talking about godly behavior as the context. Number three, now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly in the, what? Traditions just as I deliver them to you, right? So we got to follow every tradition that's ever delivered down to us. No. What's the context of that passage? 1 Corinthians 11, what follows next? Communion. Communion is a tradition in the church, right? Is that a bad thing? No. Now, if you want to say communion is something that you can earn merit with God, now you just superseded the scripture, right? Exactly. So, so it's, it's, there's good things and negative things with tradition. Unfortunately, the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church are negative. And it's basically the new form of the Pharisees that Jesus confronted. And uh, let's finish up. In addition, only scripture is referred to as being written by men moved by the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, uh, from these passages, it's clear, back it up to tradition, is your blank there, is acceptable if it does not invalidate the word of God. Scripture has the final authority, we must not exceed what is written. Now these things, he says, 1 Corinthians 4, Paul, now these things, brethren, uh, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sake, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written. What's he saying? Stick to the Bible. Don't you dare go out of it. I don't care who it is. I don't care who says it. It could be a man. It could be this person. It could be this entity. I don't care who it is. Do not go outside the Bible. Why are there so many different denominations today? Because we are not listening to the magisterium of the Roman Catholic Church. That's their justification. That's one of their biggest justifications. Why we should not interpret the scripture. We need to leave it into the hands of this ruling elite. Because look at what has happened. There's so many different denominations instead of one true church. Guy, you got to do it again after that one. <laughs> no. Okay. Two wrongs don't make a right. The problem isn't with individuals being able to read the scripture. Scripture is never the problem. The problem is how people approach and interpret the scripture. The problem isn't with people being able to read the scripture for themselves. The problem is people being inconsistent in how they apply it uh, with the scripture. It's not the scripture. And, it's, and, and that doesn't negate the right that we should have that liberty. Right? Every word of God is tested. Uh, he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, God's words, or he will reprove you, and you will be proved a liar. Revelation 22, the very end, does the same thing. Anybody adds to the words of this book, what's going to happen? You're going to get the plagues that are mentioned in this book. Don't do it. Don't add to God's word. I don't care if it's tradition. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's some secret hidden book. I don't care if it's some brother who's got some supposed revelation. None of that stuff. Stick with the scripture, right? 
The scripture again was written by men moved of the Holy Spirit, which is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. But know this first of all, no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. All scripture is inspired by God, profitable for relaxing, increasing your self-attendance or self-esteem, uh, building up how well you feel with your emotional status, teaching you how to be financially successful in the church. Oh, I'm sorry, where did I go? I'm sorry, I must have been reading the Apocrypha. Uh, and profitable for what? Teaching, yay! Oops, reproof. Ooh. Correction, Ooh. And what? Training in righteousness. Okay, so half the time you should be squirming. When the Bible's being taught, the real Bible. So that man, why? Because so, he's trying to make you ruin it. He's just being mean. He doesn't, no. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, Lord willing, next week, we're going to take a look at another thing that they derive their authorities from, and that is from the Pope. The Pope, as we take a look at that. And then we're going to get into the nature of the Trinity, the person work of Jesus Christ, the nature of man, and the means of salvation. Again, why? Because all these things, these are the five typical things. You want to know if somebody's a cult? You want to know if somebody's heading that direction or is already there? They're going to mess up on these five things. And that's what you see, unfortunately, with the Catholic Church. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. 
And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go 
to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.